Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment for the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. The Broncos have been in three overtime games this year. They won them all. Got him. Got him at the 40. It's Thomas at the 50. Stickler got him three to the 30. To the 20. Thomas to the 10. Denver's going on the New England. They win it on the first play of overtime. Eight years later and that play. ADR connection between a second-year quarterback and a second-year wide receiver remains one of the NFL's most shocking moments and the height of Tebow mania. The Steelers-Broncos wildcard matchup on CBS from January 2012 is as re-watchable as they come. It included one of the most storied franchises in the sport, fresh off a Super Bowl appearance the year before, going up against, well, Tim Tebow. Two frequent Pick 6 podcast guests just so happen to be a part of that game and will help us relive it on this special episode. Brady Quinn was Tebow's backup on the Broncos. What you learned about Tim was he was a gamer because whatever you saw during that week, you were like, man, how are we going to win? And then he'd figure out a way to do it. And Brian McFadden was tasked with stopping Tebow as part of the Steelers' secondary. We all knew what Tim Tebow couldn't do, and we all knew what he could do. And we felt like the things he could do, Shouldn't beat us. What was the play call that sent the football world into a frenzy and led to this episode? Don't worry, Brady brought his playbook. Join us as we take you from the locker room to the sidelines to the field, recapturing this epic game. We'll get to January 8th in just a minute, but in order to tell the story, we have to start before the season even began during the 2011 lockout. It really didn't affect us at all um, because we kind of were preparing for it. And uh, I remember at that time, there were a few guys that weren't currently under contract, so they couldn't participate. But yet and still, uh, they were able to be with us during training camp. They were watching basically as a fan, um, working out on their own, not being involved in meetings. But we know eventually if we came to terms with a new agreement regarding the CBA, they would be right, right with us. And also, too, Will, you got to look at it like this. All 32 teams were going through the same thing. So it wasn't like there were a few uh, ball clubs that had to endure this lockout, this uh, unfamiliar situation. We all were going through it, and we we, we saw that as such, and we just kind of tried to get better with the players that were out there with us. You guys had the same sort of issue, Brady, in, in Denver, but maybe a little bit exacerbated because you had uh, John Elway, John Fox coming in. Um, man, Foxy. Is, is Foxy a top five all-time, like, NFL coach you want to drink Coors Light with? <laughs> I, I would say he's right up there. He might be top three. Uh, in my <laughs> opinion, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the, the number one that I want to drink with that I, that I played for. Um, yeah. So we, we were an entirely different position as a team. We had just moved on from Josh McDaniels the year before. Uh, personally, that was the guy who traded for me for that year. So I was dealing with another new head coach. Uh, our team was dealing with not only a new head coach, but one that really couldn't start to create the environment that I think he was looking to bring back to Denver with a lot of success they've had throughout their history uh, without, you know, not having an off season. So uh, that was on hold. Uh, the off any, any, you know, offensive changes we were going to make considering now it was going to be Mike McCoy, who was previously the offensive coordinator, but now he was actually going to be calling the plays along with Adam Gase helping him. Um, you know, that was put on hold, even though we were trying to get you know, our, our playbook. We'd, I'd stop off and grab the playbook from Adam Gase's house. And then, you know, we'd, I'd take that to a lot of our workouts to kind of install and go through. You know, Kyle Orton thought he was going to get traded. Um, in fact, they thought a deal was done with the Dolphins. It ended up falling through uh, before we ended up coming back as a group uh, for training camp. But um, there was just a lot of things up in the air. There was a lot of things that were kind of molding and changing. And uh, as a team, you know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, we were pretty happy with was 
Brian Dawkins, one of the leaders on our team, put together this group that worked out of Valor Christian High School. And so, you know, while a lot of the teams maybe were doing similar things, uh, we had a solid group of 20 to 40 guys, depending on the day, out there working out with, ironically, now their strength coach, Lauren Landau. He was a guy who was a performance trainer back then. Um, you know, for, for guys outside of, you know, who was Rich Tootin, who was the strength coach, but, uh, he ended up taking over and, uh, running really during that offseason, our, our sports kind of conditioning program that helped prepare us for that season. I mean, the Broncos were eight and eight. Um, and in fact, started out the season. It's the, it's the weirdest season. I mean, they, it's an, un, it's an unforgettable season, but you know, the, you guys started what, like, I think it was a one in four Brady and right. then ripped off. Seven wins in eight games and lost three games to close it out. I mean, there's no way you guys felt going into the playoffs you were Super Bowl contenders, right? No, no. So, I mean, to really understand that season again, you you have to look at everything from the lockout, uh, heading into training camp, uh, the the before the bye, and then what transpired after. Um, So, you know, we were a one in four team beforehand. We were really just trying to kind of find our way and find our rhythm and, and find our identity as a team. Well, they made the change at quarterback to have Tebow take over, and, and largely it was you know, brought on by the fan base there. Uh, I don't know that you would have watched preseason or watched training camp and, and thought there was any reason otherwise to have him running the offense. And that first game there in Miami, it was, it was rough until about the last four or five minutes where a lot of things went our way and we were able to kind of you know, end, up, end up coming back to win that game. And then the next week, we got absolutely pummeled by Detroit the following week. And then the magic happened. I mean, we went on this ridiculous run where we had a top two defense in the league. Willis McGahee really became the featured running back. And Tim, you know, finding ways to keep us in ball games, not really turning the football over, um, and, and then making plays, making plays with his legs at the end of games uh, to help win games. And then incredible kicking by Matt Prater, led us on this magical, like I think you said it's seven out of eight games where look, we were we were not a great football team, but we like found ways to win. Like we were not good on third down. We were great in, in short yardage goal line because of Tim's running ability, but we weren't necessarily great in the red zone. Um, defensively we were solid and we could run the crap out of the football. And so we found our identity. And then we hit the last three games. And that was where like things just fell apart. Teams played the exact same coverage that Detroit played, basically off man with inside leverage on the cornerbacks, especially on the single receiver side. And we lost to uh, New England. We lost to Buffalo. We lost to Kansas City, all doing the exact same thing. And that's where things started to fall apart. And we finished eight and eight, but won a tiebreaker because of the Oakland Raiders at the time lost to, I want to say it was San Diego uh, at home. So that ended up giving us um, the, the tiebreaker 8-8 eight eight to win the division and host a playoff game. We could really do an entire different, like, separate history on Tebow Mania. If you could have saw practice, if you could have seen, I mean, even some of the preseason stuff, like, you're just going, like, there's no, like, I mean, there was times in practice where players would get so frustrated. I remember Sean Moreno, I think, you know, he threw a ball to him on, like, a check down or something and missed him, and Sean picked the ball up and, like, punted it over the fence. And I was just like, <laughs> Like, I can see the frustration. I remember when John Fox got hit in the back, um, like back <laughs> the ball that skipped and routes on air, and the reporters were facing the quarterbacks watching his throw, and, you know, they had, he had said, who was that? And they were like, oh, that was, you know, Tebow. And, and he was like, oh. And he just kind of turned around, and from that point moving forward, it was like a foul ball getting hit your way. You know, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was just it, – it, that, that was the crazy thing was, what you learned about Tim was he was a gamer because whatever you saw during that week, you were like, man, how are we going to win? And then he'd figure out a way to do it. And like he would, he would get in the game and he would wear teams down and he would be tough and he'd find a way of scrambling and, and making some things happen at the end of the game. So it was, it was a crazy season the way it all finished. And it, honestly, like losing the last three and especially to Kansas City at the end of the year, which Orton got, you know, I, I believe he got released at that point, signed with Kansas City. So he ends up beating us in Denver, yeah. low scoring game. But that was three. a weird, it was a weird feeling the way the season ended. And then us like jogging off the field, but then seeing that Oakland lost. And so then they brought us back out for the fans and like guys were kind of mixed emotions because they're like, cool, we won the division, but we like lost the last three and we're eight and eight. You're 500. Like 
you're not sure how to feel as being excited about being able to host a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the Steelers, you know, they come off the Super Bowl loss. They're back in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, going into the playoffs, were you sure that, that Ben Roethlisberger was going to play? He, he had been battling ankle injuries. But the big question right now is Ben Roethlisberger and that ankle. You've been watching him in warm-ups. What have you seen so far? I thought he was extremely careful during warm-ups. Twisting on that left ankle is a big deal. I've watched him since he's been back and played with that injury. He's been inaccurate throwing the football. Can't move around as well. And when he can't move around as well, that means, Jim, he's going to take a few more chances throwing the football because he can't escape the trouble. So it's something to watch very closely. You know, ten and three coming in as a his career as a postseason. Charlie Batch is the backup, but did you guys think Ben was going to be good to go for that playoff game in Denver? Not, not clearly. You know, eighty five percent or ninety percent, but we knew he would be good enough to go. Uh, that's the thing about Ben. Uh, that entire season, uh, throughout his career, there at that point. You know, he's been a guy who's always been battle tested when it comes to injuries and he might not participate, uh, in any snaps throughout the week of, but game time, he's going to hobble and limp out and he's going to give it his all. But honestly, we felt like how well we played going against the Denver Broncos that had an, an elite, a, a real good defense, um, ran the ball well, but the uncertainty at the quarterback position, we felt like we were good enough to beat the Broncos, even if Big Ben, uh, you know, wasn't healthy or if he didn't have a, a outstanding game. You know, we felt like defensively we should be able to weather the storm uh, because it wasn't a lot that the Broncos did. And I know Brady can, can talk about this, especially when Tebow jumped into the lineup. Uh, everything was – it was simplified. Now you had to deal with a versatile, athletic, powerful runner at the quarterback position. But when it came to the throwing game, the passing game – they simplified a lot, and we felt like we had a pretty good game plan. And I know we will talk about the highs and the lows throughout that ball game, but we felt like we had a pretty good game plan, even with Ben not being 100%. Yeah, let's get to the game then. Hello, friends. Jim Nance along with Super Bowl 21 MVP Phil Sims. We're here in Denver. We're getting set for what should be a most exciting game. And, and you know, this is uh, 440 local time. I remember. Uh, I mean, I was living in Greensboro at the time, and I, I, I mean, I, I remember where I was sitting in our condo in Greensboro watching it. Like, it, it was a, you know, it was just, uh, w- you know, one of those games that you sort of remember where you are because we, like Brady talked about, we, you know, we knew that Tebow was not good, but he somehow, like, managed to have these gamer moments. Um, so when we start, you know, asking you about, like, about this, what are your memories about the, you know, that specific game? Like, uh, you know, like you go to Denver, BMAC, and do you see a bunch of terrible towels? I mean, like, like what, what was running through your mind as you guys got to Denver? Well, of course, the altitude, that's something that, that, the, that has always been emphasized for us. You know, I played out in Denver uh, a few times in my career, you know, just talking about the altitude and making sure you prepare it. In that particular ball game, uh, Ryan Clark didn't play for us. Um, because the last time we played in Denver, uh, he had some issues medically and they basically said, anytime we play in Denver, Ryan, you cannot play it. We don't care what's at stake. You can't play. And Ryan was a huge part of our defense. Uh, not just when it come, when it came to his production guys, but the way he communicated, the way he talked. And I think, uh, Ryan Mundy started in place of Ryan Clark. So going into the ball game, it was like, we're playing without our starting quarterback on the defensive side. Uh, just for communicating that he did was so important on all three levels. But yet and still, we felt like, you know what, we still have the guys. We still have the horses to get the job done. So, Brady, did you know, I think there was reports going on at the time that you were splitting reps with Tebow. By the way, we were at practice on Friday. All you've been reading about all weekend is how he shared snaps with Brady Quinn in practice on Friday. Wasn't the same practice we were watching, was it? I saw Brady Quinn take two snaps, which apparently is what he does every Friday afternoon. Like that, were you thinking that you might start, that you might be part of the game plan? Because I mean, again, like you mentioned, like defenses had just come up with this plan to to stop Tebow, and it was just working the last three weeks. Yeah, um, so so I, we were splitting some reps in practice, and in particular on third down, because that was our weakness. You know, we were, I think, ended up being 30th in the league heading into, or at least from the regular season, 
Um, but we were actually worse than that because I think we were converting like 26, 27% somewhere in that ballpark of our third downs when Tebow took over. And so we were probably dead last in the league. Like we were not a good football team on third down. So their idea was, okay, we're going to put in this package where you'll go in and you'll basically go in to throw the football. And, and my rebuttal to them was that sounds great, but isn't that pretty predictable, especially to do versus one of the better teams in the NFL in the playoffs? So we've got to disguise it somehow. So they came up with this thing called the Irish package. And I actually sent out this uh, <laughs> like part of our game plan. So Tim and I were actually in the game at the same time. And we had you know a player two, one of which that was in uh, third down from like third and four to six called gun empty right, QB run, alert FIP, 80 hot F drive bullets. And so essentially the concept was, depending on the look that we got from the Steelers, uh, Tim would either run the football uh, or and out of an empty formation, or I would come back and I would actually run 80 hot F drive bullets, which was essentially you had a, you had the running back for releasing out of the backfield. You had a little you know short spot route, and then you had the drive con or not a spot route, but really just kind of a clear route, and then you had the drive concept coming from the other side. And so that was one of our plays. Um, the other one we had was one called gun empty right all hit, you know, 78 all hitch, and it was alert QB run, and the same thing. Tim and I in the game at the same time. Uh, he would essentially run if, if it was there. If not, I'd come back in and I'd throw the football. Everyone was running a hitch unless they were impressed and we'd run, you know, fade adjust. So there's a couple different plays like that out of this Irish package. And then there was just straight third down plays um, that were in the more normal drop back passing game that were concepts that I was familiar with and we thought were good against versus the Steelers. Um, cause again, we had done so bad on third down coming into that game. And that's where the funny thing is about now, like fast forwarding into the first half. We had so much success on first and second down, which is why you never saw any of that. And we, I remember uh, halftime that, you know, we were, we kind of shelved some of those because we were getting chunks, chunks on first and second down. For the game, I think we ended up being like three of 10. We were still bad, but we had, I want to say if we had 400 and I think Debo had this stat and maybe you can chime in of like the 466 yards of total offense. 368 of 447. Yards in that game came on first and second down. Yeah, I was going to say, Brady, you know what? I remember that package that you're talking about because we kind of came up with a package the week of preparing for that from you guys. And it was basically a straight dime package. I think we might have had either six DBs in the ball game because we were playing. We were preparing for the pass. Uh, and, and, and it's ironic that you, you mentioned that because I totally forgot about that. But, yeah, it, like, like you said, you guys had so much success on first and second down, especially first down. I mean, you guys were in manageable third down situations. It was like third and three, third and four. And, you know, in those type of deals, especially with a running quarterback, you got a two-way option. If you want to throw the ball, if you want to run the ball. But we had a horrible outing first and second down. And that going against your offense, especially with Tebow at the quarterback position, first down was the most important down. We felt like first down was more important than third down because if we can get you in a third and long situation with Tebow the likelihood of him converting those opportunities clearly we didn't think he can do it consistently for four quarters can they make the stop here rolling out Tebow coming in on a pass throw and it's knocked away knocked away by William Gay yeah, I mean the game plan strategy if, if I mean I'll read you our third down because I'm looking at the game. And by the way for those you know Brady has the play sheet here which is kind of cool it's like yeah you know, I keep my Super Bowl programs Brady keeps his uh do you have all your play sheets yeah yeah I, I usually would ask for paper copies of everything because they try to give you those iPads and I just be like yeah you know I'm more of a the type of learner where I've got to write it down and draw on an extra whole thing I, really too. create a library of of all the playbooks so I've I've got it all. And that's why, the, you know, those coordinators and all these guys, I'd, I'd hand, hand in those empty binders or I'd fill it with, um, just like white blank pages that I'd hole punch and put in the binder to make it look like, um, mm. the actual sheets were back in there. But yeah, so, so 37 plus, which, you know, I think Bryant would tell you that's typically when defenses are looking and saying, all right, the offense has to pass in this case, like gun two bang zig 64 Z bundle flare. That was a concept that I felt comfortable with running gun trips, right? 64 shot X slim slam. Same thing, 66 F spinner, Pacer, Ringo. You know, those are all, you know, plays 82 bun X go, or excuse me, bun go X sticky lucky. We actually took a shot. Tebow did, um, later on in the game on a third down that he missed on that particular play. Um, but all those plays were things that, you know, I felt comfortable with running and, and as well as Tim. And then if you look at our third and 10 plus, it was, it was basically three plays. 
Uh, there was a screen. There was a uh, there was a there was basically a, a bubble with a lot, you know bubble with a you know a, a completion play called Gotti. We've got the slot running an option route, and then hopefully going to catch and run after. And then we had a uh, play called Gun 482 Sticker Double Close Alert QB82 Draw. So essentially, probably getting the look there for the draw. Uh, given that, you know, Pittsburgh liked to run a lot of like two man and, and then that third and 10 plus situation and then 33 buzz, uh, which allowed you the opportunities to have a light box to be able to run a draw. So essentially a screen and a draw in those two scenarios. So that was so, it. So, so third and 10 was like, remember when John Fox punted on like, like he punted with the Bears in Seattle when he had Jimmy Clausen? He's like, but like third and 10 or longer, you're just giving up. Right. We're, we're essentially trying to run a low risk high reward play meaning if we run a draw if we run a screen if we run any of that stuff um there's a there's a the likelihood that we'll get a catch or we'll get something going but can we get 10 yards maybe not but we keep the clock running and then we preserve our rights to punt and play the field position battle bmac what is it what's it like when you're playing a team that's utilizing the you know the option and the quarterback running and all that and you you, you mentioned like you just felt like you guys couldn't tackle. Did you feel like you guys were like wearing skates or on your heel? I mean, on your heels. Like, what's it? What's the? What was the feeling as a team, especially you know, the, one of the top defenses in football? Uh, the feeling going into the ball game was, you know, at that time in 2011, you didn't really see quarterbacks play like Tim Tebow, right? right. You know, you had a, a few athletic quarterbacks, but with Tim Tebow, we knew he didn't mind running the football like a running back if need be. So. The way we went about our business was make him stay in the pocket. Containment was very, very important on Tim Tebow. And in the secondary, you might be called to cover a lot longer than what you usually are called to do because Tim Tebow can extend plays. Second and 12. Tebow somehow able to get out of it. Fires it down. He could make defenders miss. He, we basically treated Tim Tebow as a running back more than a quarterback because at that time, Going into that playoff game, watching tape on Tim Tebow, his running energized the offense. His running energized the entire team. And we didn't want that to become a problem for us on the road with how he goes about his business and the energy that he played with. And he felt more comfortable running the football and getting hit. And when he got hit, it, it seemed like that's what he wanted and he wanted more of. So for us, defensively was like, man, listen, this is a physical guy. You don't see him. We can't treat him as a quarterback. You know how most guys see Big Ben as a slippery guy. It's hard to bring him down in the pocket. We felt like Tim Tebow had the same skill set, but he was more powerful. Can, can I ask something? Because I want to go back to the preparation leading up to that week. Because yeah. I'm like looking through the types of coverages, in particular, like third down, for example, you guys play. You guys were, were more of a zone, a post-high zone team. You mixed in some, a little bit of two man, and then you mixed in a little bit of man two, like third and, third and seven to ten. But like we had been basically been getting all off man coverage from everyone the three weeks before us. And I know that might not have fit in the wheelhouse of exactly what you guys did, but did you guys not look at that and say, all right, like this is just what we need to do in order to beat them and say, let's just run that the entire game? Because that was one of the things that I think I remember watching in the in the first half saying we're starting to have success in the second quarter. And I think it took us the first quarter to get adjusted because we just thought everyone would play us that way, like the rest of the playoffs and the rest of the way, because it was so effective versus us. But you guys didn't really do that in the, in the first half. Yeah, I think going into that ball game defensively, you know, we had a pretty good defense. It wasn't one of the best that uh, that we had in, in, in years past, but it was a pretty good defense. And we wanted to be disruptive against the wide receivers, especially, you know, DT. And Ike Taylor at that time was following Demarius, I think, that entire ball game. And we knew that Demarius, was, Demarius Thomas was the go-to for Tim Tebow. And then, of course, Eddie Royal started to show his work. But we wanted to do what we've been doing the entire weeks leading up to that ball game. And I, and I think for us, honestly, we started to really, before the game kicked off, we were like, we, we, Tim Tebow can't beat us. That's, that was our thought process. Regardless of what we've seen from other teams and how they want to get about their business, if we play our style of football, he cannot beat us. And we kind of, I'm not going, I, I won't say we were too confident, but we kind of were as a unit, as an entire team, especially going against Kim, Tim Tebow, because we saw so many liabilities from him as a passer. And Brady, you can uh, contest this as well, being in the, in the league for such a long time, playing the quarterback position. We all knew what Tim Tebow couldn't do, and we all knew what he could do. And we felt like the things he could do, 
shouldn't beat us. They talk about turnovers so much, he misses passes because he just is ultra-conservative in his judgment. And this is a loaded team, too, for the Steelers, by the way. Troy Palomalo, James Harrison, Lawrence Timmons, James Ferrier, Lamar Woodley, Larry Foote, Ryan Clark, you said, didn't play. He had that blood disorder. William Gay, Ike Taylor, BMAC, of course, Brett Kiesel, Casey Hampton. Casey Hayward was a rookie back then, that loaded 2011 uh, draft class. And, um, you know, this, you, like you guys, the Steelers are favored by seven and a half points on the road in a playoff game. Like, that's and, a, like, that's a majority, 13, that's a two touchdown, you know, spread in a neutral game. And the majority of the guys you talked about, Mentioned from that defense, we all were basically there last year when you know we went toe to toe with the Green Bay Packers and basically sp- spotted them 18 points in the first half and fought back but lost the ball game. So yeah, we we were a pretty loaded unit. Uh, the majority of the guys that was on that on that team also was a part of the 08 championship team. So that that's why that's why I said what I said. It was almost like we kind of were too confident. Especially going against Tim Tebow. That'll give Tim Tebow tremendous confidence and John Fox to stay with his game plan. Yeah, and I mean, like most of these guys, not I mean, a little bit older, but not crazy older. Like, you know, I mean, you you were thirty at the time. Uh, let's see, like James Ferry was thirty six, which is insane, and you know, Casey Hampton thirty four, Kiesel thirty three. But I mean, like, you're not talking about like guys who are you know exactly ancient in in you know. In, in terms of football years. So as the game moved along, Brady, what was the sense on the sidelines? You know, you watch, watching it, you can see like Tebow gets fired, is getting fired up and he's doing the, the rah, rah Tebow stuff on the sidelines. You know, this famous for the eye black and the, the gator chomp in college. And he's sort of like, you can tell he buys into the emotions of, of it all. I mean, well, it's an emotional game. And right now the emotion without a doubt is on the side of the, are you guys sort of buying into this idea? You're just looking around like, uh, you know, whatever, like it's happening again. I, I, I know it's not that. I don't know if Brian would speak this or not, but in all honesty, like the first couple of weeks when he got in there, guys were frustrated because it almost felt like he was more into the raw, raw, like yelling and all that stuff than, than doing what he was supposed to do from an execution standpoint. So that kind of stuff, you're just like, all right, he's just yelling and screaming again. You know, I think we were more excited about even going back once we got into the playoff, just knowing that and really John Fox preaching to like it's it's sudden death, man. It's, anything can happen once you get in the playoffs and especially a team that plays the style of football that we did with with Tim, Tim and some of the things he would do late in games, the way we ran the football and the defense. You just kind of felt like we were it might be a tough out for some teams because it's a unique style. And then once we got up, I think we jumped out to like a 20 to six lead. Yep. I think we looked at our defense. We looked at our rushing attack and we're like, dude, we could hold on to this thing. Like we, like we weren't like the type of team that was playing for many leads. Um, and so we felt like we could hold on and easily manage this game, take care of the football, play good defense, and then maybe find a couple more big plays, uh, and make something happen to win this game. So we felt confident at that point. Um, Given where the game was at. Yeah. So like, so the, the opening of the second quarter, Decker, Eric Decker had been knocked out on the first play of the second quarter. Fires it. Has the completion. Ball is out. Decker just pounded on the completion. He was walloped by Monday and Harrison. Um, and cheap cheap shot by Harrison, right? Yes. And deck, I don't remember a cheap shot by James Harrison. You had a wide receiver running across the field. Harrison dropped in the coverage and literally went after his knees. Like, come on, man. I don't remember that. This is a quintessential (laughs) quarterback defensive back uh, debate on a a hard hit in the the early 2000s. Um, So then Demarius Thomas catches a long play. On the very next play, Tebow hits DT for 51 yards, right? Tebow launches the long ball for Thomas. Demarius Thomas has a catch. One of the third downs, I thought he hit DT for a really big play. Yeah, it was third and 12. Yes, yeah, on the third and 12. That was the one I was referring to. There's obviously two really big plays to DT in this game. That was one of them, though. Three. There were three big plays. Well, I spent as far as, like, touchdowns, kind of game, well, not game-altering, but, like, to me, um, like, almost momentum swings. And so well, I, no, but I was going to say, like, both of, the, but both of the touchdowns in the second quarter were set up by 50-plus yard passes to Demarius Thomas, who's guarded by Ike Taylor. That's what Denver does well. Play fake, second and seven. Tebow down the field. Thomas has it in stride. Tries to get away from Taylor. Cuts back twice on him and takes Taylor with him to the ground at the 13. He beats Ike Taylor for another long one. 
something like I wonder, did you guys identify something there or is it just like sort of blind I mean blind luck like DT was able to get open on him? Well, no. So DT was our ex. So he was our, our ex wide receiver. So we had to simplify things. So it wasn't so much of like, oh, we thought Ike Taylor uh, versus DT was a good matchup. It was more like, well, that was just where we went if we got post high safety. Like, if you're taking the shot, you're taking the shot. If not, he was probably going to scramble on a run. So it's t- Tim looks, and if the look in there, then he just takes off and runs. Pretty much. Like, we simplified things to the point where if it was too high, it was throw to this guy or run. And if it was one high, throw to this guy or run. Um, there might have been a couple of occasions where there was maybe a one, two, but for the most part, like we wanted to tap into his ability to be able to scramble and make plays with his legs. Cause obviously it was working for us that season. And for us, you know, the first quarter was more like AFC North football. It was slow. It was, it was generic, uh, good defense running the football. And then I don't know what happened in the second quarter, but it felt like the momentum shifts in favor of the Denver Broncos. And 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 the thing about Royal, just watching him, he was very, very shifty. Yeah. Uh, he commanded the slot well, and he caught the ball well, and he fought hard. And and Tebow and Royal kind of had a relationship already established, especially the damage he did in the slot, being able to create separation from defenders. But that play, that th- touchdown play to Eddie Royal, it was like it kicked down the momentum door. And then throughout the second quarter, it was like our defense couldn't do anything. It was like we couldn't tackle well. We couldn't keep contained. We couldn't cover. Everything went wrong for our defense, and everything went right for them. Yeah, so the so you get the two touchdowns. Tebow ran for the second one, as you mentioned. Um, second and six. Tebow, there he is, taking off Bill. He's got the first down. He's got the touchdown. Tim Tebow takes it across, and the Broncos have a second touchdown. And then the uh, get a roughing the passer penalty on James Harrison at some point in the second uh, second quarter that sets up a Matt Prater 20 yard field goal. Uh, and then before the half ended, uh, you got a, another Prater field goal tacked on with like a minute 08. That made it 20 to six. So going into halftime, BMAC, I mean, are y'all looking around like, like, how do, how do we give up 20 points to Tim Tebow in the first half? I mean, are their fingers being pointed? Is everybody calm and cool? Like, what was the, what was the vibe? Cause I mean, again, you guys were eight point favorites and you're down by two touchdowns to, a a one-trick pony. We went into the halftime like, uh, yo, I, are we ready to play football? Uh, because you guys talked about, you know, the the first scoring drive, uh, the Eddie Royal touchdown reception was sustainable uh, 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 conversions. But outside of that, it were big plays that led to, to the to the other points. Uh, you know, we just needed to eliminate the big plays. <laughs> Granted, it could come from Tim Tebow. Oh, that was what it was. So we weren't converting on third down, bro. It's just first and second down. Yeah, yeah. Don't stop it before it started. And, and, and remember, and that's what I said earlier, going into the ball game, I said, which is not usually the case when it comes to defensive preparations, we felt like first down was more important than third down. And in the first half, we didn't do a great job on first down or second down. And because of that, usually when you see an offense, that when they're horrible in third downs, they don't score points. But you guys were so good on first and second down. And, of course, you, you factor in some of the big plays. You didn't need to be good on third down. And they showed in the first half. Yeah, second half, obviously much better for, you know, for for uh, Pittsburgh, particularly in the third quarter. Um, not, again, like a slower quarter, but Mike Wallace scored an end around. It's Wallace taking it around the right side for the touchdown. With four minutes and 33 seconds left. Um, it originally been Isaac Redman had, uh, had broken off a 32 yard run. I mean, was it, was it the sense Brady where like this second half is, Hey, we just like, you know, you mentioned we, we got a good defense. We can run the ball. Is it just like, we're just holding on for dear life and hoping that Ben doesn't engineer some comeback. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to, to some degree, we realized that, you know, we had done enough at one point, but we couldn't just hold on. Like this is the playoffs. Uh, this is one of the best teams in the league. Um, so I, I think there started to be. You know, a little bit of a sense of, of tension and just trying to kind of, you know, hold on um, if we could. I mean, I, there's some part of us that felt like the, maybe the longer the game that went, uh, you know, it wasn't going to necessarily play in our favor. And so I think there was a little bit of a conservative thought there and hoping that, you know, maybe we could force them to make a mistake or they would make a mistake before we did. 
Um, there's a little bit of that feeling, I think, as that as that lead started to slip away. Um, Matt Prater kicked a field goal uh, on the first drive, or it was a, a long, a freaking ridiculously long drive by Denver after Mike Wallace scored. Broncos, I mean, ran, um, you know, I think it was like seven or eight minutes off the clock and then finished with a, a 35-yard field goal, which is a, a, a pretty link. They were just eating up clock and eating up clock. Uh, Denver, I mean, excuse me, uh, Pittsburgh answered on the very next drive, uh, mostly Ben fueling it, Isaac Redman with a 28-yard run on it, uh, Antonio Brown getting involved, and uh, Swisham hits a uh, 37-yard field goal. Um, at that point, Willis McGahee then he fumbled, fumbles. Right? Yep. Yeah, he fumbled as y'all as, as trying to, as Denver was trying to run out the ball, run out, or not run out the clock, but really eat up clock. Like you can see it, like the seconds are f- like flying off, taking their time. Up the first near the fifty, and there is a nice shake move. Ball is out. McGahey fumbled, and Woodley has the recovery. It was Ryan Monday who knocked it loose. And the Steelers have the football at the 44 with seven and a half. To was play. it then, you know, down seven points, BMAC? Was it like, all right, we're down seven. We just got the, they just gifted it back to us. Now is time to take advantage. Ah, uh, no question. And, uh, before that Willis McGahee fumble, our offense really started to find a rhythm. And, uh, at that time it was like, okay, now we finally got some momentum. We, sl- we slowed things down. We playing our brand of football on both sides of the ball. And it was just a matter of time. And that is, what we thought we would do, the when you look at the third and fourth quarter, we felt like that's the entire ball game. That's how the entire ball game should have went. Uh, we 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 started slow, uh, just didn't even play any football in the second quarter. But then in the third and fourth quarter, it was like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. And that fumble was like, okay, it wasn't about will we score, it was about when we will score because we felt like, like I said, the rhythm was there, and it was just a matter of time before Big Ben, you know, find one of those pass catchers. And, uh, you know, just yeah, get, get their head on the goal. Yeah, Jericho Cotri. Yeah, State Boy. Now, runs out of the pocket, goes to the end zone, and it is caught for the touchdown. Jericho Cotri able to hold on to it from 31 yards out. Yes, yes. Cotri was a big time player for us. FSU, probably, right? No question with Phillip Rivers with the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is like, dude, I mean, like, I know, like, Katri caught the touchdown pass, but this was like, it would cross, this is a wide receiver group for the Steelers, for the Steelers that crossed over, like, I'll call it multiple generations. Cause you had Heinz Ward was in his last year, Mike Wallace third year, Antonio Brown second year, Emmanuel Sanders second year, and then Jericho Katri and uh, Heath Miller's the tight end too. Like, that's a loaded, loaded pass catching group. Loaded. And at that time, I think for 2011, I think AB, was that was AB's first first good season? Like he crossed he, over a thousand yards. Yeah, I think he was a team MVP at that time. Yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that is correct. Um, so uh, yeah, so Big Ben hits uh, Jericho Cotri on this 31 yard touchdown pass, and I think uh, Nance and Sims point out at that at that at that moment that uh, Big Ben actually wore number seven because he idolized John Elway growing up, and here he is, he's about to rip the heart out of. Uh, out of John Elway's, you know, first playoff team, shocking eight and eight squad, uh, that gets there. Did you guys think, Brady, that you were toast after that touchdown pass? Um, not really. Cause I mean, at that point, we had, we felt like we had been there before to a degree, like playing in tight games down the stretch. Like we'd been able to execute these miraculous comebacks. And so it, at some point, you kind of felt comfortable in that scenario as opposed to like, Hanging on to a lead, like I said earlier, right. like that was something that was kind of foreign to us. Like it's it was, almost, it's almost better if it's like an insane bat bleep crazy situation. You just used like, to it. We were down. We had to come back. Like we just, we, we kind of played better that way. Um, and so I, I don't know that there was any sense of panic. Like people kind of just were like, all right, been here before. Like this happens, you know, countless times throughout the course of the regular season. Uh, and we were at home. So obviously we had that to our advantage as well. And typically, and one of the things that I always think gets overlooked about, that season and just, you know, Tim and his style of play and when things started to kick and he was special was when teams would come out there and again, maybe Brian can speak to this. It's not the first half where you like would get quite as worn down from the altitude. It was the second half mm. when you would be out there and then you would notice that you weren't recovered play after play after play, you know, uh, as quickly. So your first 30, 40 snaps might not have been as bad. It was that next 20 or 25 that you're like, 
huffing and puffing and not recovering as fast as you were in the, in the first half. And so that's where, like, when he would start to go off in the fourth quarter on teams run around scrambling, you know, he was always in great shape. But I'll never forget Derek Johnson, linebacker for Kansas City, says, hey, this isn't a quarterback you go, I can't wait to hit him. Remember, he says, you are hitting an NFL running back. And other teams are getting worn down, especially at home, when it was, whether it was the Jets, the Bears, or other teams earlier that year at home. Um, all that, like you were kind of watching guys have their hand on the hips, bent over, like they were tired. And like they just, you know, not that they gave up, but they just weren't in the same you know, type of condition. So we kind of always felt like we had, had an advantage in that regard once it got kind of later in games. Yeah, and so I'm curious too, Brady, did – so. On that final Broncos drive of the, uh, you guys had the ball in the, in regulation, um, second and third, second and eight and third and eight after a Willis McGahee two yard run on first down, 229 on the clock. I mean, you know, you guys threw the ball. Was that, was it a plan like, Hey, let's go for it and try to win this game? Or is it like sort of like we got to be really careful here? You know what I mean? Cause you don't want to, like you don't want to, you don't want to overplay your hand and have it, uh, and like didn't Tiba miss like a wide open, um, pass was he Royal or Thomas? Oh, it was Eddie Royal on the on the, on the sideline? Yeah, yeah I mean, just like thing is like you kind of felt like if Tebow was holding on to the football, if it was a pass, right? If we talked about before, if the first option wasn't there, whether it's one high or two high, if he was holding on to the football to buy more time to make a throw, more often than not, like good things weren't happening unless it was like a boot or it was designed. If he was holding on to the football and running with it, like downfield, like that was a good thing, like that always worked out for us. And so that was where you always kind of started to like just, you know, sit there and say like, all right, like either run downfield, make something out with your legs or throw it away and live for another down. And so there was definitely some risk to that. But I mean, at that point, we were a wild card team. No one expected to be there. So I think we felt like we could be a little bit more aggressive. And that really plays into uh, the the play call for the, the first play we ended up running in overtime. Yeah. And before you can get to overtime, of course, uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, gets – the, uh, you know, gets to, from the Pittsburgh 39, gets a 12 yard completion. So right about midfield. And, you know, you have 12 seconds left. You feel like the Steelers are going to be able to get some kind of field goal shot in there. And then, uh, I believe, uh, Robert Ayers came in and said, was it Ayers or Dumerville? Somebody came in and sacked Ben. Well, the, I want to say before that, I believe it was, um, Dumerville. Who oh, he was sacked by Dumerville that required the third timeout. That's what it was. Roethlisberger wanted unloaded the ball aside, and he falls on it back at the 43. Watch the clock here. It was Dumerville who knocked it loose. Yeah, Dumerville yeah. knocked the football out. Ben fumbled it, jumped on it, acquired uh, the timeout. And then I, I want to say Ayers. Ayers might have uh, gotten involved in that too. I think Vaughn on a play before that, maybe on a first down, had put them in, in, in second and long because of a sack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's right, that's right. So they had gotten – they had gotten into into Broncos territory. The Steelers did, and then he got sacked by Dumerville, and then they made another push up for a last second field goal. Didn't happen. Had to take it to go to overtime. I mean, but it, like at that point, it does. It, I mean, every I remember watching everybody watching this, thinking like, all right, like you know, Tebow's had this magic going, but like the Pittsburgh has finally woken up. They figured it out. They're going to overtime and they're in trouble. And this is this is the first game, first playoff game, or first game with the new playoff overtime rules. In overtime, in the playoffs. There are unique timing rules, pardon me, unique playoff rules. Each team is entitled to an opportunity to possess the ball. With two exceptions. If the team on defense scores in any fashion, the game is over. If the team that gets the first possession scores a touchdown, the game is over. Otherwise, each team has to have the opportunity to possess the ball. It's like... You know, you can, you know, you're thinking, uh, you have to have a, you know, a touchdown to, to win and walk off. You can't just walk off with a field goal anymore. And it's feeling fairly unlikely like Denver's going to go out and just score immediately, right? Right. Um, I mean, it, but, but again, I think part of our, us felt like we could be aggressive with the play call, uh, on, on first down. And what was the play call? So the play call was gun two on, uh, zip, I believe. And it was ride 130, uh, I believe what we call a needle. I think we was what we called. I think we called thimble the year before, but it was needle. And so what we had was we had a post by Demarius Thomas, expecting post high coverage uh, from Pittsburgh. And then we had Eddie Royal who was motioning down to make it look like run because we had a really really high run percentage on first second down, obviously. And so like he even pointed out like Troy Paul Malu was down in the box, like that was his man. He was going to block him. 
And then he releases up on a little, like, we call it a prick route, but it was more like a curl route is how it looks. So literally, Troy's already down in the box. It looks like basically Pittsburgh is playing some version of zero coverage or four. We, we were actually playing a coverage that we implement just for Denver and for Tim Tebow. We called it tight will me nine. Now, usually our tight will me concept will be called tight will me six. And tight will me six was basically a quarter, quarter, half concept. Okay. Now, that quarter, quarter, half concept, depending on the con- the conversation between the weak side linebacker, inside backer, and the weak side corner, that could go into a lock situation where pass-related routes, that inside backer would lock and he cover the, the running back on any outside release to his side, and that corner would lock that number one receiver weak side. But in that quarter, quarter, uh, tight will me nine concept, and that look that you're talking about, Brady, we were so dialed in on that run, the heavy run you guys showed basically throughout the season that we were anticipating run. Now, what happened was with Demarius and Ike, Ike pressed Demarius, if I'm not mistaken, and I think the safety that was down to Ike's side was Ryan Mundy, who usually would be Ryan Clark. But Ryan Mundy got too far in the box, and at that time, Ike was basically in a man-to-man situation with no help. Right. Because Troy was backside. And Troy was backside, but Troy was actually like the half safety. But Troy was doing what Troy usually does, and he was just kind of playing the look. But what happened was Demarius did a great job getting inside leverage on Ike. And because Ryan Mundy was so far in the box, all Tim, all Tim had to do was just put it where all the green grass was because there was nobody backside at all. So Ike was actually playing an off coverage. Um, oh, it was off. It was off. Okay. It was off coverage. And, and, and the worst part about it is, and this is why I say it was – it looked to us like it was – so some teams would play a version of zero, which hey, would – Hey, real quick, Brady, real quick. Demarius had like a, a, a cut split, right? He was It wasn't a normal width split, right? Uh, well, he was he was playing off remember? the ball. It wasn't really cut necessarily. He, he was condensed. It wasn't like a, a short – Okay, because usually Ike was a guy who pressed a lot, but I was thinking that maybe it was a condensed split that made Ike get off a little bit, but also, too, because of the leverage in that situation and tight will mean nine, Brady – it's imperative for the corner to stay inside because there's a good chance you might not have any help depending on where the quarter safety or half safety might get backside. But because of that condensed split, I think Ike was kind of playing it head up the outside, and Demarius ran a inside related route. And of course, you you can explain the rest. Yeah. So so really, a lot of credit to Mike McCoy um, and and Adam Gase because they were the ones kind of talking about being aggressive. Two guys who could use a little credit lately. Right, and and, and they we're really talking. About, by the way, to that point, not to go into a tangent, but if you if you want to see the changeover in our offense from the first five games and what we installed in training camp to then what it was the rest of that season and for this, the playoff games, I mean that's what I'm saying. Like people need to understand the transformation from with Mike McCoy and Adam Gase. Like no one understands the work that was being put in after hours by those guys to be able to transform this offense to to help Tim have a chance and have our team have a chance. So. Credit to them. Credit to them kind of seeing this, too, because this is not necessarily one that uh, we had you know, perfect on our game plan sheet. We kind of talked about the look and what they were giving us out of that personnel, Detroit personnel, uh, Detroit 81, I believe, and then that uh, formation. And so we wanted to go with it thinking probably getting some sort of form of post safety. And then to us, it looked like more of a version, like I was saying before, of, of zero or, or cover four is what we would tag it because of the leverage that Ike was playing with on the outside. And the safeties being so low because teams typically did that. But then what they do is if they were going to play zero, those safeties would basically play the run or they'd blitz and they would bring and then it would put pressure on Tebow and force him to get the ball out. And that's where a lot of teams had success. Well, Pittsburgh didn't do either. You know, they had those safeties down deep, like Brian said, and they didn't force the football out, but they weren't helping their cornerbacks out in coverage either. So they left them on islands and then worst yet. Ike had outside leverage. And so Demarius Thomas, the way he played that game that year, and really that was, you know, hitting into the sweet spot of his career. I mean, that dude with that size, that sort of explosiveness, Tim just, you know, put the football out there, let him go catch and go run to it, almost dead down the middle of the field. And the rest is history, man. And it was quite possibly one of the craziest things to witness and kind of see. 
when you take into everything that had gone on that entire year and had accumulated up to that point. I mean, it's one of those moments that's like it's almost indelible just because you can easily picture this, the you know, the camera's low, the CBS camera's low, and you can just see like Demarius Thomas and he's got the ball and he was in, had one guy to beat. Ike Taylor and he beats him and he is, I mean, he's gone. Like he's to the races. Like is like, you know, as soon as they, as soon as they, you know, make the connection and make the throw that it's over. What, I mean, what, what was it? What were the emotions of being on that sideline, uh, BMAC and see like, cause you know, right? You see it and you're like, Oh my God, our season just ended. Yeah. When he, when Tebow hit Demarius in stride and because of the coverage and the way how, you know, the second day was lined up. And Ike is a fast guy, but Demarius and Brady can talk about his speed is a fast guy as well. And he got, and that was one of the best passes I think I saw from Tim Tebow the entire year because <laughs> if he if he does not hit Demarius and stride, Ike makes the tackle, and then we get a chance to play football again. And because of the new rules, of course, um, you know who knows what could have happened. But because how he hit Demarius and stride, we were looking like, oh dang, like just try to get him down. But because of the speed, I mean, in the drilling, it was it was one of those oh no moments. I mean, we did not expect to lose a ball game that way at all. You could feel the stadium. You could feel the energy. You felt like this, almost like you threw your body, like the type of emotion that ran through everyone and the excitement. It was just, it was just crazy. I mean, and just even the emotions of the game were kind of a, a summary of almost the emotions of the year in a way, just the way everything kind of went for us. So that, that was one of the craziest things kind of just seeing, witnessing. It wasn't that. It was like, it was definitely one of his best throws of the year, but it wasn't even that great of a throw. Like he definitely like threw it behind Demarius to like to a degree, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't really matter. He was so wide open. I always say right. like for quarterbacks, sometimes the hardest throws to make are the one where there's no one around because you, you lack as much focus as you typically need on a lot of throws in the NFL. So I could care less about where the ball was. It was just it went to the right guy and it, and it went at the right time. The aftermath of that, you know, it's crazy too because, you know, what, like, do you think John Elway wanted to get rid of of Tim Tebow? I mean, like, he clearly did. He eventually brought in Peyton to get rid of him. But like, you you go and win a playoff game like that, and there's all this chatter about Tebow mania, blah 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 blah. Um, there was an oral history written about it. I think in GQ, maybe. I don't really remember. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the fact. <laughs> You're going to bring up the Mike Silver interview. In fact, have- I distinctly remember in the summer after the 2011 season, we like I, I'm pretty sure I wrote an article about you, that like the beef between you and, and and Mike Silver, a mini beef, not a real beef. He he basically had a conversation where he took some things a out of context and b like you know I didn't even say, just like for example, if you had asked me in an interview like for I think he asked if and, and there were so many things that were. I was complimentary about something, but that didn't fit with his piece. And so he did put that in there. And so he would, he would literally take things out of context or he'd ch- chop some things off to take away whatever fit this narrative that he wanted to create. And so that was what upset me about the whole thing was, and then when I pressed back and said, well, then show me the tape, show me the interview, show me the recording you've got, Mike, if you recorded it. And, and, and he knew he didn't want to press it to make a bigger issue or make a legal issue. Um, but the, here's the, here's the whole, backstory to this so i remember when it came out and i remember talking to like patrick smythe and talking to john fox and everyone else like they weren't really concerned like they they weren't really that upset with it and not necessarily uh because of the way the article was written just because i think they knew they were going to be moving on uh from them and so for that reason like i think they kind of knew that they were going to go after Peyton. that was their plan they were moving moving forward and it it is crazy to think like how I don't know that they could have moved on from Tim to anyone but Peyton. As crazy as that sounds, he you're was 100, you're 100% right. He had such a hold over just the hype and everything around that city that they had to bring in a Hall of Famer in order to like replace him uh, because he was that like polarizing of a figure. Like there are people who loved him, there are people who, you know, weren't as big of fans, but either way like the way the games went, it was kind of like must watch. And so it had to be somebody like Peyton Manning for everybody to be like, well, it's Peyton Manning. Right. Like, other, otherwise, it would be like, you can't do it. Tebow's the heart and soul of this team. And, and by the way, Brady, just for the record, the things you said 
the, even the stuff that like Silver put in the article, which is we've had a lot of, I guess, luck to put it simply. And I felt like fans had a lot to do with Steve. Let me take ex- exception with that. I never said that. Oh, he actually said, so basically you guys, you know, you felt like you guys got lucky. And I said, yeah, you could say that. That That's that's how I responded to it. That's but, not the same thing. Exactly. It's not the same thing. And as a writer, like you would acknowledge that. Right. And, and that's that's where I felt like there were so many times where and by the way, he's got a reputation for that. So, you know, I, I'm not the first person to ever say that. And I was warned by people after that and people before that about him. So again, like it's fine. You know, I, I've got a, a cordial relationship with Mike. There's, you know, it is what it is, but there were times when like, that was like, that was my beef about that whole article was it, there was things like that were taken out of context or, I mean, essentially kind of made up. Well, and, and I think too, like it is, it was, and just thinking about like, cause like you were, you were the, I mean, you were the backup quarterback, the veteran backup quarterback, you're having to watch Tebow Mania unfold on the depth chart above you. Um, and, you know, I mean, like, I like, I think it was easy to perceive, it was easy to buy into the narrative that at the, at the time, like, like I know it, I know, I, I believe it's like, I don't believe the narrative now, especially like, A, that Tebow's well, been he, to the curve, and I know you, but I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a difficult sell to the public. Sure. Well, and that's the thing is, like, people didn't realize that, like, I was sitting after meetings after he was gone, they were gone watching Oregon film, watching West Virginia film, watching old Florida film to help Adam Gase come up with different concepts and game plans that Tim could succeed in. Like, yeah. people never saw that. People never saw me. You know what that year was? You remember the Geno Smith push pass to Tavon Austin that they utilized, like, probably five times for touchdowns at a game? Yep. I had tried so hard to get the fly sweep pass in that year for us. I even think I got it in a game plan once. I got it to Gase. And I think we got it into a game plan once. And we practiced it, but then never ran it. Um, but that was my whole thing was, I was like, look, it's the fly sweep. Everyone's doing this. Let's do it from a pass though. Like they're doing at West Virginia. And so it'll help us completion percentage and we can get Eddie on an edge and Eddie Royal will be able to run with speed. And so there was like different things like that, that like we would try to come up with, but like again, those are things that people don't see because they weren't there, and they want to, you know, buy into that narrative. Uh, how about from y'all side, BMAC? Was it? I mean, did it feel like that? Like that loss had a? I mean, did that loss have any sort of aftershocks? Like longer term? I mean, this, you know, next year, Pitt, you, you know, Pittsburgh went eight and eight. I mean, yeah, I, I, it, I know it that was a, it was a tough loss because we were just in the championship game the year before. We were twelve and fourteen. Clearly had the same record as the Baltimore Ravens, but they won a division. So we already felt slighted. And then losing to that Denver Broncos team led by Tim Tebow, knowing that the Denver Broncos had no shot of going to Foxborough and beating the Patriots, mm-hmm. that was the most disturbing thing for us. It was like we matched up well against the, uh, the Patriots. As a matter of fact, I think we played the Patriots that year. If I'm not mistaken, in 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 Pittsburgh, and I think we beat them. So you we did, knew, in fact, beat the Patriots, yeah. uh, 25 to 17 at home in Week Eight that year. Yeah. So for us, it was like it, I, I don't want to say we overlooked the Broncos, but we were we were very very confident. We felt like the way we lost, we knew the Patriots had a shot of getting to the championship because clearly Tim Tebow would not beat the New England Patriots, and we and that was the most disappointing thing outside of the loss. Brady was like, if we took care of our business, regardless, just win the ball game. We loved our chances against the Patriots to potentially get right back to another championship opportunity. Yeah, and remember that was the Billy Cundiff 32-yard shank the following week by the Patriots after they beat the crap out of the uh, the, the Broncos. Terrible, but has like Pittsburgh recovered since then? Mm. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good point, uh, Brady. Uh, they've made it to AFC Championship game since then. Uh, I think it was against the Patriots that when Le'Veon Bell tore his groin, I think that was an AFC championship game. Was that but outside of – was that maybe 14? Maybe 14 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 2016 they lost in the uh, the conference championship game um, to uh, the Pats, the 36-17, yikes. Yeah, yeah, when, when Lev Bell went out early with That's that right. groin. But outside of that, they made some playoff appearances. Um, but, you know, 2011 was – the last legit, I think, championship opportunity outside of that 2016 game. So the Denver Broncos, only 8-8 eight and eight in the regular season. All the home teams win on wild card weekend. 
And Tebow once again writes the perfect script at the end. That would be the last perfect script for Tim Tebow in his professional football career. Tebow made a sputter the next week in a humiliating 45-10 loss to the Patriots in the divisional round. March of 2012 featured another blow as the Broncos signed Peyton Manning, marking the end of Tebow's time in Denver and essentially as an NFL quarterback. Our pal Brady Quinn joined the Chiefs the following year. And as for BMAC, well, that Tavares Thomas TD was the final play of his career. Thanks to those guys for sharing their memories. If you enjoyed the episode and want to rewatch the game with new details fresh in mind, you're in luck. On Saturday, April 18th at 10 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network, Broncos Steelers will be re-aired. Tune in for classic NFL games on the CBS Sports app or cbsports.com by logging in with your provider. If there's a classic game you want us to rewatch and discuss on the Pick 6 podcast, let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. As always, thanks for listening and talk to you guys soon. We'll be right back.